Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's August the 6th. It's lunchtime on the West Coast in California from San Francisco, where I'm broadcasting. And the headlines today, as always, for the last 18 months are about COVID. No doubt in 18 months' time, most of the headlines will one way or the other be dominated by COVID. Um, apparently, and reading the newspapers is rather like whiplash or vertigo. I mean, every time you read a headline, it seems to be different. But today, uh, there is alarm, according to The Guardian, uh, in the U.S., as COVID cases have risen above 100,000 uh, new cases uh, for the first time uh, since February. Uh, but equally interesting, if not more interesting, I think, particularly from the point of view of today's show, is the politicization of COVID and particularly the vaccination. Uh, Latin America now... Um, is uh, up in arms about COVID, about its mismanagement. It's not really surprising. I think there's one country where COVID has been most mismanaged. It's by Bolsonaro um, in Brazil. Um, the anti-vaxxers are becoming increasingly aggressive uh, in the uh, West Indian island of St. Vincent. One leader was attacked today by an anti-vaccine protester. Meanwhile, in Florida, where which is currently always seems to be the epicenter of the COVID crisis in the United States. Uh, the governor there, DeSantis, has criticized masks and restrictions, suggesting I don't quite know why that you shouldn't wear masks or perhaps take vaccines. Meanwhile, when it comes to the workforce, um, the vaccine has been politicized. CNN today fired three employees for coming into the office, uh, not being vaccinated. Uh, one person I thought who would give us an interesting perspective on this increasing politicization of illness, of disease, of the epidemic, um, is uh, Matthew Zachary. He's the host of Anti-Patients, uh, which, according to him, I'm not sure if uh, we have any metrics on this, is the leading podcast on um, on healthcare, it's certainly one of the leading podcasts. He himself is a cancer survivor and has written and broadcast extensively on it. Um, Matthew, uh, am I exaggerating the situation? Have we um, have we entered a new stage in the history of illness where everything has become politicized? Or is this just a, an odd quirk of the COVID epidemic and hopefully like COVID itself will have gone away? Well, I can, first of all, <clears throat> thank you for having me on the show. I've been a, a huge fan and follower of your work all these years. And you are, you've been the Nostradamus of all of this <laughs> since, since the dawn of time. <clears throat> I think that, um, at least from my perspective here in the States, healthcare itself or sick care, however you want to politicize or not politicize it, uh, is kind of an, a bubble at this point. It's not um, immune, pun intended, to 
its own sort of um, uh, shenanigans per se in terms of mis misperceptions and 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 false information. I would put the vaccination thing in a completely separate bucket with COVID um, because it it created a whole new narrative in healthcare in this country, just around what is true. Because it, I think the democratization of of health literacy has been a good thing, uh, at least in the states here. I, I recall we we were doing talk shows like back in the mid two thousands, and I ran a nonprofit called Stupid Cancer. We had a Facebook page. And we were getting all these trolls before they called them haters. They called them trolls that were telling all of us to, you know, just smoke pot and cancer go away. And then they shut that up really, really quickly. I, I think that um, self-policing of authentic content and real data in healthcare is in a much better spot today than it ever has been before. It's almost like the good parts of social media have shut out all the people because there's just this grand mass perspective in making sure that you're not lied to when you are given the right information. With regard to COVID, yeah, that has revealed like this crazy ebb tide of whether you have cancer or not, to whether you are living with a rare disease or not, you still trust your doctor or you still trust, you know, your prescriber, but now you're all you're so involved in like science is going to help me live better and yet <laughs> vaccines i don't quite know about that it's it's very bizarre talk to me a little bit uh matt about um the vaccine here we have the the mayor of boston who's comparing the covid vaccine or the intended covid vaccine passport to slavery freedom papers um this issue of a passport is increasingly controversial. What's your position on it as a cancer survivor, as someone who hosts a very popular show about healthcare? Are people out of their minds or is there some legitimate concern? Is it equivalent to, as some people suggest, to slavery or to the Nazis or Stalin or some other uh, challenge to freedom throughout history? Yeah, I will throw a significant degree of empathy towards people of color, such as uh, the mayor there, that there is natural hesitancies that just predate the the uh, inconvenient history of this country that predispose those those, those individuals uh, to just have a natural distaste and hesitancy for medicine in general. Cancer screenings are lower in communities of color. There are misperceptions in the way black culture has been treated in medicine all of these years. So um, that's not a mulligan per se. But we're also living in an age where sensationalism is what's selling, and we're only hearing things that get our attention, the confirmation bias that you've talked about for years and years, that if you really want to find the actual information and you're not educated, it's a lot harder, which is the divide in this country. I have seen, and it was a little too late, but groups like the National Institute of Health, the CDC, they really did try to pull their resources when they, they had no data. And the CDC was in a whole bunch of shit in 2020. That's a whole other story. They, of course, corrected thanks to new leadership. But people are just going to want to believe what they're going to want to believe. And, and I, I do a segment on my show weekly called Vax On, which kind of debunks all the insanity of where people are thinking they're getting their information from. There are educated cancer survivors who do not want the vaccine, 
who have spoken to their doctor and the doctor said it's safe for them and they're still hesitant despite what 250 million doses in the u.s since the beginning of the year which includes millions of cancer survivors or cancer patients no one's died no side effects like we're looking at raw statistics that still don't change people's minds so uh, i mentioned at the beginning uh ron DeSantis in florida suggesting that um, masks and restrictions were a bad idea i assume he's ambivalent at best about um, vaccines. Currently today, half of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated. Uh, meanwhile, the other half, you have these nightmare stories, these, I guess, they're tragic stories of unvaccinated men or women, in particular, it seems to be men on their deathbeds who regret what's happened. Is there a, a, a concerted disinformation campaign um, uh, uh, Matt, about the impact of, of the vaccine. How do you make sense in political and cultural terms of the anti-vaxxer movement? Is it, um, I mean, many people position it on the right wing, although there are people on the left as well who seem to be attracted to it. Yeah, I think there's three different segments to that conversation. If you're, there are people that are naturally against vaccines. They don't get their kids vaccinated. They, they don't get the flu shots. Fine. They're going to live in that space. That's like flat earth bullshit. I don't care. Right. You can't change those people's minds. But then you have the people that are more aware of their wellness. They may be living with a pre-existing condition or on some kind of a systemic drug treatment just to kind of get by <clears throat> who are aware to talk to their doctors about this. And the doctors are going to err on the side of science and say, it's safe for you. Or if you're really immunocompromised, it's not safe for you. So we're seeing a lot of that. I think what frustrates me the most is, you know, we, how many hours do you have to talk about Fox news? You know, they're saying everyone get vaccinated. And then like Tucker's like, screw the vaccinations. So where do people really, you, you can't have it both ways if you're going to be on the right side of media. But I, I kind of understand from a perspective that forcing something down the throats of American citizens is never well received on any side of the aisle. But then again, we look at how... But, but when we say forcing, I mean, we're, you, you could argue we're forced not, not, to allow, not to be allowed to murder one another or not to be allowed well, to run people over or drink, or, or drink and drive. I mean... Yeah. Forcing is a is is a pejorative word. I mean, well, I, like without consequence, people think that they could like freedom of I have freedom to do whatever I want. Yeah. Without consequence. I remember like my parents telling me when seatbelt laws were enforced, half the country refused to follow along. Right. Like and yes, seatbelt laws, you can kill somebody else and yourself. And people still didn't care about safety. Then we're in a very similar position now. What about the role of insurance and, and, and private insurance in the United States? Uh, report on ABC today suggesting that uh, if you're not vaccinated, fair enough, but you're going to have to pay more for insurance. And I assume insurance companies will be increasingly unwilling or unhappy about paying for people's, cover, uh, people's treatment of, of, of COVID when, in fact, they could have been vaccinated. Uh, can the market fix this problem, Matt? <laughs> that's such an interesting question like penalizing people like ACA was controversial because you got penalized for not going on uh, you know the exchange if you didn't have private health care for yourself or employee risk care 
penalizing people for not getting a free vaccine. I, I don't know where the, the, the incentivization is going to translate into the minds of, oh, I mean, they've been trying to like, they have lottery. Ohio gave up their lottery. They were paying people to get the vaccine and they gave up. So I, I really want to see I love the CNN piece about firing those employees. Is that really going to trigger somebody to actually get vaccinated against where, where their perceptions or is it really going to like become like this brain drain of people from corporations? Uh, it's such a social experiment at this point. But on the insurance front, Matt, don't the insurance companies have a right not to cover people if they choose not to be uh, not to be vaccinated? Right, because the loophole is that being unvaccinated is not a pre-existing condition. It's just a condition, right? You're fine. You know, like if you have COVID, that's not a pre-existing condition. It's like getting the flu. If you are living with like Epstein-Barr or meningitis or late effects from a rare disease, that's a pre-existing condition. So they're not, people are claiming like this HIPAA violation, this goes against my ACA rights. It doesn't. If you are choosing to not get vaccinated, it is entirely the free market's right in missing out on that money to upcharge you if you haven't done it. It's their right to do it. It's free market. How it pans out, I have no idea. Well, speaking of the free market, there was a, a headline this week, some research on the best healthcare systems in the world. The National Health Service in the UK dropped from first to fourth. Um, and uh, I think the Netherlands and Australia, Norway now are the top three. America has, according to The Guardian at least, quoting them, by far the worst rated system. How has COVID impacted the debate, Matt, about healthcare, about its privatization? Clearly, with Trump out of office, there's no longer much... Um, uh, m much effort to um, upturn uh, Obamacare. Uh, but could COVID push the other way? Might it be the, the, um, the crisis that finally forces people to recognize the need for a single-payer system? I mean, I don't think single-payer is going to solve hesitancies and misinformation telling you not to do something when you really should be doing something. You know, you mentioned before, that um, uh, see, there's the chemo brand. It just kind of kicks in. You had talked about how, you know, I'm going to skip that because my brain just totally talk about cancel late effect, right? I tend to lose things in the middle of a conversation. My my perspective is that um, just because something is a covered benefit doesn't mean you take advantage of it. And it really just comes down to there are still people that would rather go to Mexico and do cannabis therapy than go on chemotherapy. And that's that's their right to do that even if it's covered by your insurance company. So in this particular case, guaranteeing a covered benefit to all Americans, I don't think it has, it's not really apples to apples in terms of like a, a, a chronic condition or cancer. You're best known, Matt, um, as a, a so-called cancer maverick. You were featured on the cover of, of Newsweek a couple of years, I think it was 2017 as, as one of the the Cancer Mavericks. Here we have a photo of you in your in your New York office. Um, uh, uh, you're described as a rebel. Uh, what when you when you got your 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 terrible news about cancer? What made you rebel? And do you think of yourself as a cancer maverick, as a rebel? What are you rebelling against? The system, life itself. Yeah, I, I rebel rebel against complacency. 
Um, like you, I was born with like embedded chutzpah. We, we kind of bring mm. that to the table. And I've always been precocious as a kid. And I think when I was derailed at 21 with terminal brain cancer, I was like, not just in denial because you're 21 and stupid. Well, using the word uh, derailed, Matt, I think is a, is a euphemism. It must have been. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the it, thing that we all fear, right? Those kind of it, yeah, life interruptions in a sense, right? I know. I feel like I didn't know how crappy I was treated because it was the 90s and we just that was the way it was until a couple of years later, I met people who were treated better than I was, who were dead set on making sure that no one suffered like I did and before me to make everything a little better for all of us. But I noticed coming from an ad agency background that everything in healthcare is very polite and it's very distilled and it's very lawyer based and it's like Hallmark cards. Like you'll be fine. Here's a ribbon, here's a wristband. And it wasn't jiving with me. And I always felt like they needed to be a more dissenting public voice. Like the Howard Stern of healthcare was like this idea that I had. And you know, a lot of it's entertainment, but a lot of it is authenticity. So I, I had a talk radio show in 2007 that sort of elevated what validated my, my assumption, which is that we need more raw, natural, loud voices in healthcare, just calling the BS out, but also making sure that we are not like burning our bridges, but making an intentional attempt to force the hand of, of you know, the system by leveraging the consumer, by the patient. We vote with our wallets. We, you know, transformational care these days in the U.S. Is, is fantastic because of voting and ballot initiatives and policy changes. And and this other documentary, you, you brought up the Cancer Mavericks, that's our latest public health doc, eight-part narrative series on the 50-year history of cancer advocacy. It's the 50th anniversary of the National Cancer Act. And technically, the problems we have today are good problems than just like dying right away like we did 40 years ago. But this idea of politeness and being genteel and using collegiate language and not being afraid to just be people who are angry and channeling them to do better for themselves and other people. That is the part that I take full ownership of and really trying to just, just be that voice. And there are so many other people that have risen to this level of visibility in this country as, as mavericks of their respective disease or the respective uh, purpose. We've had a number of shows, Matt, about um, the crisis or the perceived crisis in the medical industry. We had a show recently suggesting that doctors were miserable, that the profession was miserable. What, what's been the response of the medical establishment to your rebellion against cancer? Were many, um, many doctors sympathetic? Did they see you as, as a crazy guy, as someone who could keep their mouth shut and just listen to what they said? Well, I don't throw the medical profession under the bus. They're people like us. They get cancer too. The kids get leukemia and rare disease as well. And I have many, many friends that are like heads of oncology here and heads of this there and heads of, you know, like really senior people. We've risen up the ranks over 30 years since college. And the burnout rate is because of a combination of progress and, and profiteering, you know, less with more. And just the fact that there are now like 150 new cancer drugs versus having four, you know, 15 years ago, how do you keep up with everything and maintain your standards? Then a brand new genomic breakthrough shows up and then you got to get home to deal with your kids and you're in charge of people's lives. Hippocrates shrugged is like the new allegory in this country. How do we manage being human beings trying to take care of patients in critical conditions 
knowing as much as we can to make sure they get the right answers. But burnout and suicide, especially during COVID, was the highest in the history of medicine. So I'm not here to throw them under the bus. It's not like who's to, who, who's making sure that you know what's right for you as a patient and who's helping you, the doctor, know what's best for you to talk to your patient about. It all comes down to the medical institutions, uh, payer benefits, and the insurance companies. They're the ones messing everything up. Since you got your um, your your bad news about cancer, well, when was that? Uh, which year was it? Nineteen ninety-five. Nineteen ninety-five. So you've 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 been living with this now twenty-five years. Uh, it was a death sentence a, 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 when the doctors first told you. You're obviously very much alive. Um, how much? Has the science around cancer changed? Lots of talk continually about finding quote unquote cures for cancer. More and more high tech companies in Silicon Valley who have received large amounts of money from people like Jeff Bezos about finally ending cancer. Is this a, a marketing ploy or is there some scientific truth to it, Matt? No, there is a little both. I mean, again, sensationalism is what sells to the public. You know, the more clicks you get, the more money you make in, you know, the, the, the collapse of the algorithm is pending, you know, like to say it that way. But you start to look at how cancer, again, if, if people that choose to listen to the Cancer Mavericks, they'll get a sense of how chemotherapy even started in the 1960s and then what it morphed into. And back when there used to be like only seven chemotherapy things you could do to hopefully not die from cancer. The Human Genome Project really did transform medicine because back in the day, your cancer was really all about geography. Where in your body was it? How advanced was it? What do we do with it? And today, there's jargony syllables that academia uses, but basically you can turn it to Wolverine. There are these tests that you can get before you go on to like a normal chemotherapy regimen or radiation that test your genes. They look at your DNA, like they literally go in at the like the 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 end of one level of your DNA. Should we all take these tests, Matt? Yeah. Is it advisable? Yeah, these tests are all. Uh, there's that's a whole other issue. We, we talk about access as a jargon term. Access is knowing tests exist, right? Being told they exist, seeing if you qualify for the test, and being able to afford the test. A lot of employer-based care doesn't guarantee coverage of these tests, which can be a thousand dollars. But if it's covered on Medicare, you know. I'll give you one example. Uh, in the esophageal cancer diagnostic space, it was a death sentence. You got it, you died right away. There's now a test when you get an endoscopy. You go to GI, you get your endoscopy. And if you have like GERD or something called Barrett's esophagus, which is advanced GERD, um, they can now do a biopsy in your esophagus and look at the DNA in your body and determine your potential prevalence for it to advance to esophageal cancer and avoid it like you never get it if that's not cure i mean you don't even get it there's a cure you're not getting it like we talk about the genetics is the new prevention that to me is is how science and technology have really advanced the ball on hopefully not even getting it in the first place the same test exists in lung cancer in kidney cancer uh, in colon cancer there's a kit you can buy now off the internet where you kind of poop on a stick, you send it back and they tell you your predisposition for colon cancer. And then that helps you literally like try to not get it. It's a fantastic advancement that is not really well explained about how far we've come. 
You mentioned the internet, Matt. Uh, you said you've been following my work for a while. Um, in fact, you said you were working with Google when I gave a, a speech there, a fairly inflammatory speech back in yep. 2007 when I was one of the few people to be criticizing media. Now everyone is. Um, this headline is about anti-vax apps squaring off with Google and Apple over misinformation. Um, is digital media now, are companies like Apple and Google and perhaps even Facebook, are they the good guys? Are they the people we have to rely on for reliable information? You know, this all goes back to your brilliant book, uh, Cult of the Amateur, which I read. And like when anyone can do anything, no one does nothing. And if it's that easy for Apple to approve an app that they know is going to lambast them, but they have to pretend to be democratic and not autocratic by canceling things, you know, you're at the mercy of a market that's just like, trying to solve and you know improve itself uh I, I don't have an immediate answer to that question but at the end of the day like what's the least worst thing that you have to depend on who stands the most to profit by you making a better decision for yourself well but, the, but this issue of anti-vax apps squaring off with google and apple we know that the information ecosystem has been radically disrupted by digital media. Nothing's going to change. We're not all going to go back to reading one newspaper or watching one television right. uh, network. Um, can, for example, Facebook, we've had lots of shows about how corrupt Facebook is. Can Facebook reform itself? Can it become uh, a reliable platform for people to figure out the complexities of healthcare, whether or not they really should get a vaccination? As you said, some people probably don't need one or shouldn't get one, but most people should. I mean, I, I think as long as, you know, the me the metaphor of the social dilemma will always exist. I mean, think about how hard it took to get Trump off Twitter and Facebook and how they kind of refuse to play good cop on their own algorithm because it makes them more money to lean into people's confirmation bias and give them terrible information. I feel like there is an actual consumer blowback, especially in healthcare. Uh, maybe not again, the vaccine is a sort of a tangible or a tantamount allegory that patients as consumers are really starting to uh, be really tired of getting misinformation because we're starting to see you don't have to die anymore. Like that's finally, after all these years, 50 years of cancer advocacy, we're finally realizing as a country, you don't necessarily have to die anymore. And yeah, there's bell curves and I'm empathetic to those rare conditions where there is not yet something for you. But in terms of the linear progress or the exponential progress, we're starting to see bills in the House on the consumer protection side, like how Ralph Nader got the, the insurance companies to pay for the seatbelts to protect consumers. We're starting to see Ralph Nader-ish things mm. happening in this country. There's a new bill that was presented about patient protection in genomics, which to the point of these like esophageal test metaphors, if you're diagnosed with cancer or rare disease, no matter whether you're employer-based care or Medicare, it's free to get that test as a guarantee and a right and a liberty of entering the healthcare system, people did that, not the system. So that's something I see as the next, what are the next 10 years of citizen uprising in healthcare? And you think that's a good thing. We, we need to demand our data or rights to that data, maybe not challenge continually the medical establishment or fall into the, the anti-vaxxer cult, but certainly empowering ourselves as patients. Finally, Matt, um, 
as I said earlier, and as, as you've noted many times, you got a death sentence in 1995. You're still touch wood and thank God very much alive. Um, what do you make of, in particularly the Silicon Valley, the Ray Kurzweil's of the world who believe we can live to get, uh, live forever? Uh, people like Elon Musk are, are going to Mars, partly perhaps because they believe they can live forever there. Do we need, even in a time of, of, of remarkable scientific progress when it comes to illness and death, do we also need to rethink the idea of dying? Wow, that's pretty heavy. Um, I think we're always going to need those people in society to demonstrate that this is something we can aspire to or sort of uh, take perspective on as a civilization, as a, as a cult, as, a, as, a, as just living creatures that are, what, what did Carl Sagan said, the small blue marble, you know, that we're nothing compared to the universe. I, I like to believe that there's going to be an ultimate balance between free market and regulation driven by angry citizens. The Margaret Meads of healthcare have never really manifested before in a way that I see that happening in the next 15 years. Because we're now aware that we don't want to die right away. Longevity is, I mean, COVID notwithstanding, which reduced more, the, like life expectancy, <clears throat> is still getting better. I think the, the meta question is, do we want to live forever? I don't want to live forever. I mean, I, I, I think I, I'm, a, I'm a little younger than you, but back to the future, I was hoping for flying cars these days. But I don't want to live forever. I think that there's a natural state to life and that's just my perspective whether it's religious spiritual i have no intent to want to outlive my grandchildren that is not something that me as a human being would wants to aspire to but i do believe in equity and equality so you can live your best life on your terms but who's going to guarantee that and it's only people that'll make that happen well, Matthew, you may want, Matthew Zachary may not want to live forever, but I'm thrilled you've lived these last 25 years and we didn't lose you. Uh, I hope you continue to do your outstanding um, advocacy work, your broadcast work, uh, podcasts like Out of Patience are essential. You bring a very moderate, balanced, well-informed and, and, and personally rich narrative. Congratulations on if not living forever, certainly living for the last 25 years. I hope, Matt, you'll come back on the show to talk more about healthcare, its politicization, and how we fix it. It's, a, it's perhaps the central question of the age. So keep well, keep fighting. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. Take care. Be well.